0: Uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the joys of life. Thank you for children. Thank you for the gift of laughter, the gift of joy. Um, just the time that we can uh, just do this together in community and fellowship. And, and Lord, we thank you that you're a God we can celebrate we can praise, we can be thankful for. And Lord, as we get into your word, as we get into some, even some tough passages, Lord, uh, we pray that your spirit would uh, teach us and speak to us, Lord God. We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Um, You know, speaking of age, uh, I don't know, for those of you who are younger or those of us who are adults, how many of us heard from our parents all the time that, Things were always better when they were young, right? Do, do your parents say that to you guys a lot? Yeah. I'm, I'm at the age where I've said that to my kids all their lives. They have heard it. Things were always better when I was younger, when we were young, right? Food was bigger and cheaper, right? Uh, You know, you could actually, it was safe to play outside. Maybe your parents have told you that. Kids actually played outside, right? Maybe you've heard that before. Music, I've always, my kids have always heard me say music was always better when I was younger. They would beg to differ. But um, even like the shows and the movies we watched, we thought were more wholesome than they are now. Or so we thought, when I remember there was a time when my oldest two, Katie and Josiah, they were at elementary school age, and Michaela was still a baby, she was just born, she was very young, and we were hanging out in the house one time, and you know, Jamie and I, we always tried to be pretty protective of our kids and what they watched, and so I remember one, I think it was an afternoon, I was trying to find something clean to watch for my kids, And I came upon Looney Tunes cartoons. And I thought, oh, great. I used to watch the Looney Tunes when I was a kid. So I'll put it on for them. Well, it didn't take very long for me to get the looks. It was the looks of, dad, what are you doing? Because it wasn't very long before we saw characters being shot at. Female characters being presented, shall we say, provocatively, suggestively, and that there was male characters who were doing catcalls towards these female characters in the cartoons. And I remember they gave me the look of like, Dad, what are we watching? You watch this when you're a kid? And that was one of those immediate, good job, Dad, moments. I realized, wow, things were not as clean as we expected it to be or as we remembered it to be. I don't know how many of you, um, this is kind of dating me and maybe your frame of memory goes back further. How many of you have ever, like, recently watched an 80s movie and you expected it to be clean because it was PG? Right? PG movies are supposed to be family clean oriented. And it doesn't take long before as you watch it, you're realizing, oh, that was inappropriate. Oh, that was not a clean comment or a clean joke. Because back then, when we watched something, it was presented in such a way that it's almost like, you know, we didn't think much of it. But looking back now, man, there was a lot of inappropriate things that we watched that we thought was quote-unquote clean, I don't think we really realize the offensiveness or how offensive things were at the time. Because they were kind of hidden. They were kind of subtle. They weren't presented outright. Um, I don't know if it, uh, we're entering gift giving season. And I don't know how many of you, when you give a gift, you're always told to wrap the gift. Right? How of you are good gift wrappers? You wrap gifts, right? So it was always in my mind, you know, you always, when you give a gift, you wrap a gift, right? That was the tradition, you, you wrap a gift. Well, it doesn't take long, you know, when you get a gift, now they have something called gift bags, right? And that becomes really convenient, because you could just drop it in a bag, put some tissue paper, and act like it's being wrapped, but you're really just putting it in a bag, very convenient, Right? Well, you know, as time goes on, you kind of think, well, what's the difference between a gift bag and maybe the shopping bag you gave it, right? So you go from wrapping a gift to maybe let's just give it a gift bag, and then you're just like, well, can we just put it in a bag, you know, and it could even be a grocery store bag, you give it to a gift, right? Maybe you're at the point where you're just kind of like, let me just hide behind my back and just give it to them, right? Over a course of time, things kind of change and we lose sense of... I don't know. Seriousness or Danny, we don't really realize the subtle changes that take place. And I think we're in a point in society where there's no hiding anything anymore. Everything is just out in the open. It doesn't have to be wrapped cleanly and nicely in a package, but it's just out there now. There's no hiding things. I was going to give a, a, some, show some recent statistics on violent crimes, but you realize when you look at violent crimes, they're really subject to the law enforcement agencies and what they report. And what you find nationally, actually a majority, a lot of people, even in, in our state in California, majority of law enforcement agencies don't report violent crime statistics. Or if they do, they become either underreported. Or just not report it at all. So a lot of crime statistics, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Because you may not get an accurate picture. So I thought, you know what, I don't even think I need to show stats. Let me just ask you. Do you feel safer now than you did 10 years ago? Do you feel safer now than you did 10 years ago? How about 5 years ago? Do you feel safer now than you did 5 years ago? I think a lot of people would say no. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're on the news and you're on social media and stuff, you've probably seen it very often, the amount of violent crimes. But even beyond that question, let me ask you this. What's your appetite for violence? Right, I used to love action movies. I used to love all that kind of stuff. And occasionally I used to watch a horror movie, all those kind of things. I used to. But what's your appetite for violence? What's your appetite for graphic? Do you feel like, do you need to have it, the violence a little bit more graphic, a little bit more realistic? And I think that's kind of more of a troubling sign for me than just the, the violence itself, is that people's appetites for it. I mentioned last week that sin is like a snowball, right? It starts small. But as it goes along, what happens as the snowball goes along? More snow binds to it, right? And it grows and gets bigger. And if it goes downhill, what happens? It just accelerates, right? I use that analogy of sin, and that's what sin is like. It grows. It binds together. And it just accelerates over time. The reason why I'm bringing up all these things is because we're looking at chapter 6 of Genesis And we're looking at the days of Noah. What were the days like leading to up to the flood? And last week we saw a potential supernatural spiritual component to what was taking place leading up to the days of Noah. And this week we're going to see the extent of man's sinfulness that led up to the flood. Next week we're going to look at, we're going to focus on God's perspective. Alright, so we we looked at a potential spiritual, natural component. Today we're looking at the extent of man's sinfulness leading to the flood. Next, we're going to look at God's perspective, what chapter 6 says. And then the following, we'll look at Noah and the purpose of a lone voice in a wicked generation. If you weren't with us last week and um, if you didn't get a chance to catch it, let me just get you up to speed from last week. Uh, I mentioned last week's passage was a controversial one, a difficult one to preach on. There's a lot of debate as to the meaning of certain things in chapter 6, particularly in the first four verses. But I want to just summarize the flow of Genesis chapter 5 to 6 to catch, so we're all caught up to speed. We saw that in chapter 5 through 6, God displays his mercy to Adam and Eve by providing a line of descendants through their son, Seth, right? After the disobedience, God could have easily just said, forget it, strike them dead. But God's mercy, let their line, their descendants carry on through their son, Seth. And so through this lineage, we saw Enoch, the faithfulness to God through Enoch. Enoch walked with God. But as we see, as we go in chapter five and leading into chapter six, we see that as people began to multiply, so did the sinfulness of man. Sinfulness of man grew, and it diversified. So we see in chapter six, a potential mingling of disobedience in the spiritual realm with the physical realm. I mentioned last week, in verses one through four, that it's some of the more challenging verses to interpret. And that the two main interpretations of verses 1 through 4 involves the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Who is it referring to? Because it's a very unique and infrequent phrase in Hebrew, right? The, 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 referring to the sons of God. And there's two camps. They each, either reference supernatural or angelic beings or they are just regular men from a descendant or a lineage of Seth. That's the two camps mainly. And I mentioned that if you stay consistent with the usage of the sons of God in the Hebrew scriptures, in the previous or in the other passages, in Job particularly, it's in reference to angelic beings or these supernatural beings. So if you stay consistent with the usage of it, it's referring to angelic beings. So you take it in the context of chapter 6, it's saying these angelic beings had relations with these daughters of men. And so you think, okay, how could that be? That's a little weird. It went from nor- normal kind of talk to this is kind of weird sci-fi stuff. And so from that camp, it's either two things. Either those angelic beings actually were able to take on a human flesh and have relations with women or potentially maybe they possess the men who are humans and had relations and 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 so forth which camp uh, i mentioned last week i lean towards that they possess the men can both happen it could happen The reason why I don't lean towards that they took on human flesh and and married these women and had children and, and potentially those children were Nephilim is because honestly it raises more questions than I can answer. More questions that scripture has not laid out or clarified. Can angelic beings, can these fallen angels have taken on human flesh actually married women and then they created these giant beings, right? The Nephilim. We don't really have that clearly. So that's where I lean. Can both happen? They could happen. There's a lot about the spiritual realm that we don't really conceive or know about. But that's where I fall in line. And I mentioned last week that there's different people, they fall into different positions some will believe that it is from the lineage of Seth, and you can make a case for it. You have to explain away the usage of sons of God in the other passages. But what I think is the most important part, whether however you understand this passage, is that we understand the most important part of chapter 6. And I think that is, is what led to the flood. Why did God bring upon the flood to bring judgment upon all mankind at the time. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. So Genesis chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 5, if you have your Bibles. Verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in this, in his, in this time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the Earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the Earth was filled with violence. God looked on the Earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the Earth. Now if you've been with us since Genesis 1, maybe you can recognize the stark contrast between what we see in Genesis six from what we saw from all the way back in Genesis one. If you remember Genesis 1, what do we see? God creates, right? All of Genesis 1 speaks of how God creates. He created a, you know, I won't go through all the days. And then we saw how God declares all creation as very good, right? We see at the end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God creates, and then he looks, and on the seventh day he rested because he looked upon and said, all, thing, all that he had done was very good. And then we saw in chapter 2 that God creates union between man and woman. He created man, but he also created woman for man to be his helper, that for them to be together and to create a union together. We see how God institutes the marriage relationship. And then we saw that man in chapter 3, man and woman, what do they do? They disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. Chapter 4, we see that man and woman's child disobeys God. in Cain, Cain murders his brother Abel. And then we see how man then corrupts the union that God instituted between man and woman. We see in chapter 4, verse 19. Chapter 6, verse 2. Then we see God declares all creation here corrupted by man's evil. Chapter six, five, verse seven, five through seven, and verses 12 to 13. And then finally we see, God is going to destroy the earth through flood in chapter seven. So it's interesting to see this parallel, this contrast from where we started, what God had intended, and the effects of sin and how it corrupted everything. God creates, saw that what He created was good. But now in chapter 6, we see what? God looks and sees wickedness. He sees the evil. It's interesting. There's a notable parallel relationship and close association with man and land, or the ground. In Hebrew, the word man, Adam, means man or mankind. But in the word for land or ground is Adamah. That's a very close association. There's a close association, a parallel between man and the ground. So it's interesting, in a a similar pattern we see God creates the land, right? He creates the land. God creates man from the, the dust of the ground, of the land. Then we saw that God commissions man to cultivate the land, right? Work the land. Work the land, cultivate land so it may bring life. But then what do we see? Man sins. After man sins, what does God do? He curses the land and makes working the land more difficult. Then we see man's sin corrupts the land and he will eventually return to the dust of the ground in which he was formed. And then finally we see God destroys the land. So it's an interesting pattern, this parallel, what we see But we also see the effects of man's sinfulness, a distortion from what God had intended. So the land is cursed because of man's disobedience. And we see that his sin corrupts all of the land. And you may think, well, how bad could it have been for God to bring about a flood that would wipe out all of mankind at that time? Not only mankind, but also the animals. And some of you might think, well, that, now that's going too far, right? You could touch man, but don't touch the animals, right? Somewhere like that. But you look at all the words that describe what God is seeing in the world at the time. Evil or wickedness. That word for wickedness is the same word used for evil. It's corrupt. And it's violent. And this is repeated throughout these 14 verses. You look at the description in verse 5. Wickedness or evil of man was great on the earth. It was great. In other words, it exceeded. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Imagine that. He says the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. Earth was filled with violence. Again, in verse 12, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Evil was great on the earth. Every intention and thought of man was evil continually. You ever thought about that? How can humanity get to that point? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a point in humanity where every thought and intention of man was evil continually? You may think, is that even possible? How can you get to that point? Well, I'll say first thing, how you can arrive to that point is what? Change how people think. If you can change how people think, then their thoughts and their intentions will go accordingly, right? So what's the first thing you can do? If you're going to get to arrive to a place where every thought and intention of man's heart and mind is evil continually, I think the first step is what? Question the existence of God. I think if you can get people to question the existence of God, then you have a cascade of repercussions, if you question God, then you have no absolute standard of morality or good, right? It becomes subjective. Man becomes that sense of God. Then all offer alternative gods to worship. So if the God of the Bible doesn't exist, there can be other gods to worship. You can have your own gods. There's other beliefs you can have. And the other thing you can do is challenge conventional understanding and morality, what is generally accepted, what has been always accepted as morality or understanding, if you can get people to challenge that, then you get them thinking about other things, right? And then if you could redefine the basic good that God created, if you can get people to redefine things, redefine marriage, Redefine what it means to be a man or a woman. Redefine what sex is supposed to be. Redefine all these things. If we could get people to think differently from what God had instituted and intended, then we got them. Then if you can warp understanding of what is acceptable and what is tolerable. If you can warp people's understanding of what should be accepted, And what should be tolerated, you'll get them thinking a certain way. And then make deviant behavior mainstream. You following me? If you can get deviant behavior to be mainstream and accepted, then how they view and see things will go accordingly, right? And then maybe even threaten any deviation or opposing view. If you can threaten any deviation or opposing view from the mob or the mainstream, then you put pressure on people. Well, I can't think contrary to them because then that's going to make me be seen a certain way. Maybe cause emotional and mental instability. Cultivate unhealthy desperation. I hope you kind of realize that changing how people think and their thoughts and intentions is happening. And if we can challenge people's view and understanding of God and God's standard, then the thoughts and intentions of man, we can see how it can be evil in God's eyes continuously because they've redefined everything they've changed how god's standard they changed his authority they changed his definition they changed his intention so all they're pursuing is what they want to think and feel right these are all ingredients to a deviant society blindly being told what to think it's kind of interesting right it's interesting that the two examples of God's judgment, Old Testament examples of God's judgment that's cited in the New Testament, or so the New Testament writers refer to incidents of God's judgment, two of the main ones is the flood, and what's the other one? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Those are the two instances in the Old Testament, particularly that cited in the, in the New Testament about God's judgment. And it's interesting. The focus and here's chapter 6 of the flood is what the violence of man it was so violent if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah what's the focus there the sexual immorality so it's kind of interesting the two things the main focus of these two things of God's judgment sex and violence and you think about today and you think about throughout history what has been that has plagued so much of our culture and society sex and violence we see it throughout our media we see it throughout our entertainment we see it throughout our culture verse 11 it says the earth was filled with violence filled with violence imagine a, a, a living in a time where man is not restrained from violence there's no law there was no like law enforcement in these days of noah right God didn't even institute the commandments at this point. So can you imagine a society where there's no restriction for violence? Maybe you're looking around, you're saying, you know, we're not that far away. What I think is scarier than the violence we see today, what I think is more troubling to me, not just the degree of the violence we see today, but what troubles me is people's, Acceptance, or their dismissal of such violence. They just accept it now, or they're easily dismissing it. There used to be a time in the U.S. when we would be able to be unified in speaking speaking out against certain evil things. There used to be a time, no matter what political positions or you would affiliate or side yourself with. What would bring us together would be an evil that struck against humanity. We used to be able to come together in those things. But I think we see today that even that people can't agree on. I don't know, you've been following the news, what took place in Israel. And if you've heard the reports, if you heard and saw the just the animals, the brutal evil that was done from Hamas to innocent people. I don't think you could imagine that. I don't think you could think that humans were able to do such evil. It's interesting, the word Hamas is an acronym for Islamic resistance movement, right? I'm not gonna say what it is in Arabic. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it, right? So the word Hamas is an acronym for Islamic resistance movement. In my time of study, I was I was looking at this, and I was came across, you know, looking at what, how this is the world at the time of Noah was described, and the Hebrew word for violence, right? It talked about how the world was violent and looked at the Hebrew word for violence, it was Hamas. I was like, whoa, whoa, wait! what timing? That was kind of weird timing to think about that. That in Hebrew, the word Hamas is violence, wrong, cruelty, injustice. The days of Noah was marked by intolerable violence. And I don't think you can reach to such levels of violence without evil inspiration. We, so we talked about that, I talked to someone about that last week. How can man reach such evil viol- or evil levels, such levels of violence? If you had not heard the reports, I don't necessarily suggest that you do because they're so graphic, so unimaginable has to be demonic. There has to be such evil to inspire such wickedness. And I think there's some truth to that. I think the demonic inspires evil, levels and degrees of evil. But we don't need the demonic, the demonic's help to be evil. I think that's inside our desires, right? But I think the demonic can certainly be accelerants and fuel to that, help us reach levels that is unimaginable Until the point where we're like, you know, we can do it on our own. But it's kind of interesting that it got to the point of God's judgment where it says the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. Man's sinfulness reached to such levels that it corrupted all of his creation. It marred it. It spoiled it. It corrupted what God had created. Now, I'm no environmental activist. I'm not, you know, a big activist. But I think all of us can agree that all of God's creation has been affected by man's need for convenience, technology, You know, we see the trees that are wiped out. You know, sometimes I'll drive in California and you see the occasional green hills. Right right now we, we may see some green. I imagine, kind of think, what would it have looked like coming into California and the settlers coming in and seeing all the green hills and stuff? I think we can all agree that our need for convenience, our need for technology and all those things, it ends up affecting God's creation. But I think even more than that, our sin can certainly ruin what God had created, what he intended for good. Imagine a time when every intent and thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Imagine what that would look like. What does that look like? Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, don't be caught off guard. In the latter days, at the end days, this is what it's going to look like. 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Notice Paul warns of the influence of the demonic manipulating the sinful desires of men. And he says there's going to be a time when men are going to fall away. They're going to fall away from the faith. They're, and they're going, to be, they're going to be deceived by demonic teaching and beliefs. Couple that with what? A conscience that's been seared with a branding iron. You know what that means? When it's seared, that means it's seared to the point where it's become numb. It's become calloused. You don't feel anymore. You don't have a sensitivity to what is right or wrong. You just become calloused. You think about how many people today are even calloused by trauma. Tra- trauma, traumatized so much that they become so calloused by things. They no longer feel. They no longer have a sense of conviction anymore. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, "...arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power." It says, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into the households and captivate weak women. He's not saying all women are weak. Okay, that's not what he's saying. Weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you ask yourself, how can you imagine... Your humanity, a world where every thought and every, every intention of man is evil continuously. And you look at the description of the latter days. I mean, if you're going to ask me if I'm going to describe humanity, the state of humanity right now. Gosh, this is just like, check, check, check. Yeah, our society looks like that. Lovers of self over lovers of others. Yeah, I think, I think we're a pretty narcissistic society. We're very self-focused. Lovers of money, yeah. Boastful, arrogant. Have we ever seen a more boastful and arrogant culture as we do now? Revilers, disobedient parents, okay, well, that's always been, right? But we see such a level to such a degree. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. And he warns them, Warns of people who are looking to take advantage of susceptible people. We are paralleling the trends of the days of Noah. I think that's what we're seeing in our culture today. And we have to be vigilant. I have to be able to say, I know this was a, like a pre-Thanksgiving Sunday. It's not sounding like a real Thanksgiving Sunday. I, I, I get that. I understand. All right, what do we need to be thankful for? We'll, we'll probably get to that in a second. But I have to warn us, too, that if we're not paying attention to where society is at right now, we'll find ourselves getting swept away from it. And I want to challenge you in your thinking, your thoughts, and your intentions has the culture swept your mindset away? How you view things? Has it told you how to define things, how to view things, what to accept, what is good, what is natural? What is godly? We have to be vigilant. In the next coming weeks, again, we're going to look at this from God's perspective. From God's perspective, what is He seeing? Because we have a couple verses there when it describes God's reaction and response, you can it can kind of lead you to think, "What does that mean? God was sorry that He He created man? What does that mean?" We'll take a look at that next week. I'll wrap up with this: be watchful, know the world that we're living in. Be vigilant. Don't get swept away so easily because the world is being manipulated by the demonic, by the enemy. Be careful. Be watchful. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, Lord, um, as we head into Thanksgiving, we can be thankful for our family, thankful time for, for times with loved ones. Lord, we also want to be thankful for your mercy, for your goodness, Lord, that you are good. And that, Lord, you warn us. You warn us not to get swept away by the the thinking and the ways and the intentions of the world. Lord, we pray you would give us eyes to see our world around us, ears to hear the messaging, to be on our guard to be aware and help us to know how to see the world we're living in. And that we look around us, Lord, there are people who are lost. They're being deceived. They're being manipulated. May we be able to share the truth the gospel, that Jesus, you love us, you die for us, you want to make us clean and whole and give us new life. We thank you, Lord, for your mercies and your goodness, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's pray, let's worship.